It's the Joel Com Show, featuring internet pioneer, New York Times bestselling author, and international speaker, Joel Com, Helping you grow your business, live life today, and do good stuff. Here's the man who built his first website in 1995, your host, Joel Com. Welcome to this edition, this episode, this, uh, this, this place called the Joel Com Show. And I'm happy and excited. I'm excited that you're with me today. We are recording live on Blab, which means those that are here get the full visual and the opportunity to ask questions of myself and my special guest. And uh, today we're going to cover a topic and have a guest that, uh, well, the topic is near and dear to my heart. And so is my guest because he is has become one of my best friends. The topic we're going to talk about is something that I've ex- had experience with now for 10 years. And it's all about how to leverage your expertise, your know-how, that which makes you and the value you bring so powerful for the rest of the world by being a published author. Out of all the things that I have done over my 20 years of online business, there is nothing that has been more powerful for uh, expanding uh, my brand giving me more exposure, enhancing my credibility, getting me more speaking gigs, more podcast interviews, more joint ventures, more brand influencer campaigns, nothing more powerful than having my own published book. And that's why I'm excited to welcome to the show today, my guest, David Hancock. David uh, is not only a good friend of mine that I've now known for 10 years, but he is the founder of Morgan James Publishing, and uh, he's also the founder of the Ethan Awards. He's co-authored 12 books, and I've authored 12, so our number, uh, the, the Dirty Dozen, which includes Guerrilla Marketing for Writers, The Entrepreneurial Author, and Performance Driven Thinking. He has been cited as one of the most prestigious business leaders and is reported to be the future of publishing. And I believe that he is. David also has a great heart for people. He serves as president of the executive board for the Habitat for Humanity Peninsula in greater Williamsburg area. And he's the chairman of the board of the National Center for the Prevention of Community Violence. Please welcome to the Joel Com Show, my good friend, David Hancock. Hello, Joel. And it is a privilege for you to see me. That's right. And I'm calling in from my home today because I'm off work today. But I said, I'm going to take this opportunity to meet with my friend, Joel Com and all his fans and followers. And hopefully I dragged a few along the way as well. And they all said, huzzah. That's right. Uh, what do you think of the new glasses? They look really sharp. Makes you look much smarter than you actually are. I like it. I know, right? So we can use all the help that, that we can get. I'm actually, there's there's a little problem with the prescription. So you actually look attractive. And, and I think it's the... It's the prescription that needs fixing. Uh, anyway, we've known each other for 10 years now. Yep. Uh, we met at Armin Morin's big seminar in, I believe it was uh, fall 2005. And uh, Armin introduced us. That's right. And, and he, said, um, he said, you guys need to know each other. And I handed you a CD. Do you remember what was on that CD? I remember it very well. In fact, I probably have it with me somewhere. <laughs> Show and tell. That's right. Let me find something. No, it wasn't this. Uh, let's see. No, yeah. no, it's it's okay. Just describe it. What was on it? Uh, it was uh, a book 
an ebook mm-hmm. called, uh, let's see if I remember the original title. It was uh, How to Make Money with Google AdSense. Really close. It was called What Google Never Told You About Making Money with AdSense. Yes. It was the right. second edition of uh, a book that um, I was selling for $97 and had sold thousands of copies of it. That's right. And I remember one of the conversations we had early on is, well, why would I really want to turn this into a physical book and charge less for it and actually have less room to put stuff in the book? Mm -hmm. Those began some really great conversations, brother. They they did. And it led me to the place to say, okay, I want to publish this book. And uh, we we took that book. We uh, repackaged the content, which was in the upcoming third edition of the ebook, which was about 200 pages, and gave it a new title. Uh, called the AdSense Code. And I said to you, I asked you, have you, has your publishing house, Morgan James Publishing, ever had a New York Times bestseller? And you said, nope, not yet. <laughs> and not yet. And I said to you, well, I'm going to be your first one. And you said, <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> you no, know, you laughed at me. Well, yeah. <laughs> you laughed. You like, <laughs> I, I did respect though. <laughs> there you are. And I said, no, really. I am. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to say that the AdSense code was indeed Morgan James Publishing's first New York Times bestselling book. That's right. And um, and I'm real I'm grateful to you because you saw uh, the that the value that the content had, and you were right that turning that into a physical book made all the difference. This opened up the door to speaking gigs for Tony Robbins and Harv Ecker and speaking at Microsoft headquarters and, and all everything that's followed after, I attribute to, you gotta go back to the beginning, right? You don't forget your roots. And uh, so w- what do you think it is that makes the book so powerful? It's really the, the format and the legacy that's behind the actual books. People tie a lot of weight to the book, uh, the actual physical book. And it goes back to the early days of printing 500 years ago. Um, very few books were printed. And when they were, they were special. And uh, as the industry grew up and more and more books were published, that, that special, that authority behind being the author just continued to expand with it. Now, even with millions of books published a year, it's still amazing that the pool is a, the, the, the book is a very powerful tool uh, that's used by entrepreneurs globally. And it's just it's an amazing credibility booster. It's just a very, very powerful weapon in your arsenal of weapons to use out there. And it's just the, the nature of the of the beast. It's funny, the same content in only an ebook form is great and you could sell them and make lots of money, but doesn't quite give you the same level of credibility, uh, reach and exposure as a physical book does. It's, it's kind of funny when you look at it, but hey, we'll leverage it. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because your background, uh, you didn't start in publishing. You started in financial services. That's right. I was a banker back in the 90s. Uh, we won't actually, hold that against you. I know, right? I made some good money. I had lots of fun. But uh, that was the part of my career that I realized a book was a powerful weapon. And I can share a little bit about how that was. If you want, I won't go back to birth, but I had lots of you know, ups and downs, failures and successes before becoming a banker. And then as a banker was one of my successes. I was doing really well. I was making stupid money. I was fat, dumb and happy. I'm still fat, hopefully not quite as dumb, but I'm still very happy. And I realized that, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of good work. I was making a lot of money. In fact, they were paying me stupid money back then as, as a banker. It's no wonder it all collapsed. But uh, 
I was uh, hungry for what I could do to learn more and, and reach more and do more and earn more. And I, I became very eager to figure out what could I do next? Not that I was unhappy. I mean, I really felt I was doing good. I was a top producer, but I just wanted whatever that next step was. I was very entrepreneurial, but didn't necessarily realize it. So I started to study everything, uh, books. I went to seminars. I took home study courses and I implemented. I hired assistants. I fine-tuned processes. I I just marketed myself differently. I was always a little bit different in the way that I did it because I actually was like one of a thousand. This, this is probably, you guys might be able to relate to this. I was one of a thousand people offering basically the same product and service to the, to the entire world or my community at that time. And I had to do stuff to set myself apart because everybody else had unlimited ad budgets like I did because the banking business was booming. Everybody else was buying the same ad space, TV time, marketing the same way. And I had to figure out ways to do it differently. Um, I was good because I looked at the relationship. I wanted to figure out how I could help others succeed at what they were trying to do. And obviously, the more successful they were, the more successful I was going to be. Um, but it wasn't until I discovered a book, a very special book to me. Maybe not quite as special as Guerrilla Marketing, excuse me, I just gave it away, as uh, the AdSense code, but uh, the book was called Guerrilla Marketing. Mm -hmm. It was in its third edition by the time I ever discovered it. I never heard of it, never heard of the author, and he and I became dear friends later. But, you know, it was a book that changed my life because in it, I realized that I was a guerrilla and didn't know it, meaning I was doing the unconventional things to gain the conventional goals of, you know, earning money and, and making a, a name for myself in the banking community. But one of the things that he taught me when I hired him as a coach, because he made himself available for me to do so, was he said I needed to write a book. And uh, I laughed out loud at him. I mean, I really didn't. <laughs> I know, you know, the feeling exactly. Um, I just didn't quite see the benefit of the book. And who am I to write a book? What do I have to say? Mm -hmm. And he only helped me realize that I still had a unique way of doing things. I still could be a recognized authority in my space. And I ended up getting a book published. Didn't realize that was a hard thing to do. Ended up getting it written. Didn't realize that was a hard thing to do. And it worked. I literally doubled my income. In fact, that was one of the things that Jay had taught me. He said, David, if you wanted to, to grow your business and earn more and do more and reach more, you've got to do one more thing compared to what you're already doing. He said, if you wanted to, to uh, double your income, and, uh, you know, have people stop negotiating with you, you know, write a book. And he also said, if you want to have people that would never give you the time of day, start begging to get on the calendar, you got to write a book. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, he said, if you wanted the media to call you, now, Joel, you've experienced this tenfold. If you wanted the media to call you, you know, when something happens in your space or to become that, that, that go-to person or that recognized name to talk to, you got to write a book. And sure enough, it happened. And it changed my life. I became very passionate about the power of a book. I never imagined ever leaving the banking business, but uh, that's a different story. But it really worked. It really did. It was um, it was laughable, really. I mean, people that never would give me the time of day were begging to get on my calendar. And I literally doubled all my fees and stopped negotiating. And they they did it. And the media called me almost weekly because I was the only local person in the area that wrote a book on the topic. So I was the guy to call. It was funny. I got a face for radio, though. So we, yeah, I got a lot. <laughs> what? what? Um, uh, uh, do you have Guess some earbuds because I'm, I'm getting, getting echo from your speakers? Uh, I apologize. I can grab some. Yes, please do. And while you do that, I will share with people that um, I have now, I've published 12 books to date, 
and five, actually six of them, because I've got second edition, have been with Morgan James Publishing. And we're going to talk a little bit about what makes Morgan James different. Uh, the AdSense code, and then we have a second edition of the AdSense code. I also did, uh, in 2008, I did this book, Click Here to Order, Stories of the World's Most Successful Internet Marketing Entrepreneurs. Took me 50 hours of interviews with um, with internet success stories to compile the content for this one. And uh, in the last few years, I've done several multi-author books, including the uh, the book, So What Do You Do? Discovering the Genius Next Door with One Simple Question, and volume two of that book. Uh, and another community book was based on the JV Zoo community. Uh, and this is the rock stars of JV Zoo, a very popular affiliate network. And while David's getting his uh, earbuds, I'm going to do one more one more humble brag here. Um, I've had the opportunity to help a number of people with their books over the years because I am such a big believer. I've seen firsthand the value. And anytime I coach people, one of my first questions is, "Do you have a book? Not an ebook, a traditional, physically published book." And uh, this stack right here is not the definitive stack, but it is, uh, those of you listening can't see this, but if you're seeing the video, this stack of books is uh, people that I have either helped them publish their book or I've written their foreword. Uh, Simon Leung, who was one of the first guys on the Google AdWords team, wrote this book, the Google AdWords Insider. This book uh, by David Hancock. That's and Bobby right. Kipper, uh, performance-driven thinking. I wrote the forward for this one. I saw that Brian G. Johnson is in the room, and uh, and I helped Brian and wrote the forward for his best-selling book, Trust Funnel. Uh, we've got Kim Garst, Greg Jameson, Jeff Hunt, Ray Edwards, uh, E. Brian Rose from JV Zoo. We've got uh, Rick Frischman and Brett Ridgway and Brian Haynes' books, Mistakes Authors Make. Wake Up Beauty by uh, Lisa Marie Jenkins, John Chow's book, Make Money Online. Um, I know Brian Kramer's Shareology. Uh, let's see. That wasn't in the stack, but there we go. There's Brian Kramer's Shareology. And one of the best-selling books that Morgan James has had is uh, Ewan Chia's, How I Made My First Million on the Internet. That is a stack of books, my friend. We've got some history. That's right. Can you hear me better now with no echo? Uh, yes, much better. Thank you. And and I love to see um, people get their expertise out there and become published authors because it changes everything. And I saw that Brian G. Johnson here is is in the room and in a little bit. Uh, Brian, if you stick around, we'll we'll welcome you in because I want to hear your thoughts about what the book has done for you. And we will answer everybody else's questions shortly. So uh, why did you, you know it's one thing to do a book and become a published author, but why did you decide to start a publishing house? That's actually a really good question. I never really intended to do that, as, as I probably alluded to a moment ago. Um, it was just probably my my path of publishing of my own stuff that helped me realize that there had to be a better way. You know, entrepreneurs like like ourselves and many of our fans and followers realize there's lots of different ways to do things, and some of us find a little niche on on how to do it, hopefully better. Um, I had actually published two books traditionally and two books self-published. Of course, that makes me an expert, right? Uh, and I realized that the traditional world was great. It was wonderful. I had credibility, I had distribution, I had a professional product, and I had the reach, and I had you know a good team behind me. But I didn't like it because I ended up losing pretty much all control. Uh, it's definitely with my first book, and not as much on my second book, but still I had very little input in anything. They were making all the decisions for me, whether I liked it or not. Didn't have any input on the covers. I didn't like the covers. 
didn't like my first title. They added chapters to my first book. It was really that part wasn't fun. Um, and then when the book came out, I realized, hey, there's additional content content in here that I need to learn. And I just really didn't like the book. And I was the least important part of the process until then. At that point, they're like, start selling the book. <laughs> and they stood on my shoulders for years trying to get me to sell more copies, more copies, more copies. That's all they really cared about. And by my second book, I, my second book was Grilla Marketing for Mortgage Brokers. And uh, although we had a little bit more control with that book with Jay on as a co-author, it still wasn't a whole lot of fun. I ended up selling 40,000 copies to the bank I worked for. It, it did well, but they still were standing on my shoulders demanding that I do more. So then I self-published two books thinking maybe I like a little bit more control. Maybe I, you know, I know what I'm doing now, theoretically. I, I'd like to try that. And don't get me wrong, self-publishing is absolutely better than not doing anything at all. And self-publishing has come a long ways, even in the last 10 years, 13 years now that we've been in business. Um, and I liked being in control of everything. I liked knowing what it was going to look like, taste like, feel like, smell like, when it was going to come out. The problems I had with self-publishing was that nobody cared as much as they did before, and I had no distribution. I had limited availability. I was selling it out of my garage. Amazon was just small at the time, and it was just a big difference. And so by my second version of, of self-publishing, when things weren't quite much different, I said, man, there's got to be a better way. Would it be nice if somebody blended the best of the two worlds? You know, what if we could take the credibility, the distribution, the professional product and entrepreneurial team, include the author, but then also bring in the fact that they are important. They're the most important part, I think, of the process. Bring them in and to help make all the decisions together, then give them the distribution and then teach them how to leverage a book. Because there's a painful reality. We might get a chance to talk about more later that nobody wants to buy your book. So, hey, everybody get everybody understand that nobody wants to buy your book. It's not about book sales. It's about leveraging the book. But an amazing thing can happen. The more you leverage a book, the more books that you'll end up selling. The less you say, hey, buy my book, the more people will want to come buy your book. It's an amazing process. So having done that and started playing in that, that publishing arena, really originally just helping friends and clients and coworkers. And if you, anybody got stuck in an elevator with me, get the book done. Um, my wife finally cornered me and said, hey, why don't we do this for real? Let's set this up as a business, put a little balance in it so we can see you more because you're working two full-time jobs, only getting paid for one of them. Let's make a change, you know? <laughs> so that was 2003. We thought we'd just kind of start from there. Still, the whole focus was how could I help others do what I did to grow their business? And uh, the more successful they were, the more successful I became. And that was in 2003. How many manuscripts do you get submitted each year? Right now, it's a little over 5,000. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. A little over 5,000. And how many do you publish? We publish an average now of 135. Okay. So, you know, when you're doing self-publishing, anything could be printed, but you have a brand that you're supporting. And you kind of answered this question a little bit, but Brad asked, was autonomy your biggest draw to starting a publishing house? And how powerful was the newfound creative freedom? You know, it was, uh, it was, um, initially it was just because there was a, a hole that needed to be filled that I thought I had a better way of doing it. And I thought I could help some of my new circles of influence because my circle of influence was growing. Um, I didn't quit my day job until a year. So we really had to build some balance in from the beginning part. Um, but I stayed connected to the space. I stayed connected with each one of the authors. I tried to have relationships with everybody and, and uh, help them with their success. And it just grew. Finally, one day, about a year later, in fact, almost exactly a year later, um, the banking business just started to not be as much fun as the publishing business. So I said, goodbye. <laughs> Gee, I can't imagine why. <laughs> so let's talk, you know, I want to give you my perception, having done self-published books 
and traditionally published books. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the pros and cons of each, and then let's share a little bit about the hybrid model that you've really pioneered. Um, you know, that's why I'm I'm so proud of you and what you've done. So in the the traditional publishing world, you submit a manuscript or a proposal to a, a publishing house like Wiley or Penguin or Random House. And for the most part, if you're a first-time author and you don't already have a platform, they laugh at you. That's correct. If they accept your manuscript, they insult you with a very small advance, which is less than enough to remain a starving artist while you write your book. Um, average advances these days for first-time authors is what? It's about $500 and shrinking. <laughs> to write 50,000 words, right? <laughs> and, the, and then they, they add insult to injury with their, the royalty percentage, which is typically what? Seven to twelve percent for typical first and second time authors, depending on your on your success. And that's on wholesale. So if you're selling a book that's twenty dollars, the wholesaler is getting it for ten, right? Right. And so your seven to ten percent is seventy cents to a dollar per book sold. Right. Now, the benefit that you have of a traditional publishing house is that you have an opportunity to get distribution through all the traditional sales channels, right? That's right. The idea behind the distribution, people always think that bookstores aren't important anymore, but the reality is bookstores are still very important. Um, Amazon, for instance, still only represents less than 25% of most publishers' overall business. So it's not the end all of, of everything for every publisher, uh, but it's that distribution that really matters. The, the idea is to, to be discovered so far out of your current circle of influence by those that need to find you or a special contact at the right company that discovers you. For instance, I mean, what kind of people can you find by being in the airport bookstore or at a Barnes and Noble in, in Seattle, Washington, that's way out of your, your current circle influence by that one person that can take you to the next level or bring you in as a speaker or get you connected to, you know, the right organization to sell thousands of books, although book sales isn't everything, but give that great opportunity for you. Well, and we understand just as a little side that what many people don't know is those bookstores, especially the ones in the airports, if you see the books there, odds are the publisher and or the author is paying for those books to be there. Uh, they're not going to make money for the most part on the books that are there. They are paying for their books to be there for one reason. David, what is that? Uh, they're paying for exposure. Yeah, because if your book shows up in an airport bookstore, you're going to be reaching out to businessmen who are going to be getting on the plane, reading your book and might be in charge of hiring a consultant or a speaker, right, for a $10,000, $20,000 or bigger contract. And that's what it's all about. Now, here's the thing that I, I really don't like about the traditional publishing world on top of some of the other things we've discussed is they're really all about selling books. The, right. They're concerned for the author kind of wanes if you can't move books for them they don't really even want to hear your proposal right and the reality is if you can't move books for them in a quick amount of time they don't want to talk to you uh, most publishers will give you three to six weeks to make a huge impact in the market when your book gets gets launched and released if it doesn't do what they expect or want it to do they're going to just not reprint it or not continue on selling it to the trade it's really quite frustrating 
So the other side of the equation is self-publishing. And we've seen for years people self-publish books, many of the self-published ones uh, with typos, horrendous layout, terrible design. They look like, you know, the neighbor's kid did it uh, because people want to do it themselves. I even I did a self-published book myself last year just to experience the process of working with CreateSpace um, and in doing it. And it turned out okay. Uh, but I'm not like really proud of how it looks. It could have looked better, uh, but you know, it, it does sell a little bit on Amazon. And really, I tend to give away the ebook, the PDF version, even more. But the beauty of self publishing is it's all you, baby. <laughs> That's right. You like, remember when I said that uh, when the publishers were first publishing my books, they made all the decisions for me whether I liked it or not. The pro and the con of self publishing is you end up making all your decisions on your own, whether you're qualified or not. <laughs> right. It, you know, so you get to keep everything you sell, but what you're selling is books out of your garage. And there's a financial investment in that in printing books. And if you're going to do them one offs, they're going to be even more expensive. Like the self published social poetry that I did through Create Space, I ordered 50 copies so I can send them out and hand them out. And they were like six bucks a book shipped for a thin little book. So, yeah, I could go carry them around with me and sell them at events, you know, but usually people who do self-publishing end up with a big stock of books in their garage and, and then they get divorced, right? That's right. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what happens. And I so one of, my, done, one, of my, one of my original self-published books was in our garage and they got eaten up by termites. I live on the East Coast where it's nice and damp. And uh, even though I had measures to help prevent such things, I threw away 1,700 copies because they were full of termites. It was ridiculous. I hope my wife doesn't find out about that. Well, some people's books are, are filled with something worse than that. But so <laughs> what you did is you came up with a hybrid model, knowing that true entrepreneurs are going to be working to push their books, whether they're self-publishing or working with a traditional publishing house. You coined the phrase entrepreneurial publishing. Right. Talk about that. So we trademarked that back in 03 because we, we recognize that becoming an entrepreneur myself, my closest friends and my clients and the ones that I was really becoming, you know, and having an impact on my life and, and me on their lives were entrepreneurs. And I realized very quickly, directly from people like Jay Levinson and others, that the books were weapons. They were tools to be used and leveraged. So I became very passionate about the, the whole guerrilla aspect. Uh, guerrilla marketing in general and the publishing aspect and realize there's a way to kind of blend the two because the book was that it was just a, one of the many things that you can do as an entrepreneur to get your voices out. We still think it's one of the most powerful weapons, but it in combination with an active social presence, a great speaking career uh, and just getting your name out there is something that can make you very, very powerful and recognized. Uh, I already forgot the question, Joel. Hopefully I was heading down the right direction. Well, well, you know, the way I see it is that you've combined the best of both worlds so that like self-publishing, the author has control, right? Right. It's the book is ultimately about the author and, uh, and what in the book is a vehicle. It's never about the book sales themselves, right? Yes. I made some decent money as did you selling this book, but the speaking gigs and what's come as a result of that have multiplied way beyond a hundredfold, you know, what I would make from the book. That's right. And, and so that's what you're concerned about. In fact, I'm going to tell a short story, which I know you've heard me tell before, but not everybody here has, uh, when the AdSense code hit the New York times bestseller list, 
I was approached shortly thereafter by John Wiley and Sons, a very popular publishing house that I've done several books with, including Twitter Power 1, 2, and 3, and Kaching. Uh, but the, before then, they came to me and said, hey, Joel, um, do you own the rights to your book? And with Morgan James, I own all the rights to all my stuff. And so I went to you and I said, you know, Wiley wants to take my book, Mass Market Paperback, which is the smaller version that they pump out zillions of them, put them in the bookstores. And I went to you and I said, um, what do you think of that? And your exact words to me were. Your success is my success, Joe. Wow, you quoted that perfectly. Um, which you know, when you're when you're dealing with somebody in business, telling them that, hey, I'm considering taking my business elsewhere, the business that you helped me grow, and then you basically encouraged me to do what was best for me. Uh, I just loved you even more, and I said, uh, okay, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the book with you, and whether or not that was a business error. Uh, I don't know, and it doesn't matter because I wanted to remain loyal because you helped me get this title to where um, where it needed to be. And uh, short, it was in 2008, Wiley came to me and said, we'd like you to write the book on Twitter. And uh, not having worked with them before, I said, you know, Wiley's coming to me again and they want me to write this book on Twitter. What do you think? And you said? Your success is my success, Joe. And, uh, and truly it was, and I went with them and I did the book with them. We've to this day, no book on Twitter has sold more copies than the original Twitter power. And I told them as part of the deal, I want to promote my other books in the back. And so in the back of the first Twitter power is a promotion for the AdSense code and for click here to order. And you've gone so far as to promote my other books that I've published elsewhere. And, and that to me is the heart of a publisher that really cares. So like like self-publishing, your hybrid model empowers the author, but like traditional publishing, you also have built relationships with the wholesalers and the big box stores so that many of your books from your authors get distribution. That's right. In fact, uh, we didn't actually have to go develop those relationships one on one. We were smart enough to surround ourselves with people that were really good at doing what they do best and smarter than me. We attracted the um, the attention of Ingram Publisher Services, let's see, by probably by 2005, just before your book at The New York Times. Um, they wanted to know how we were selling so many books and, and they didn't know about us and what they could do to help. But we established that relationship and they already had those existing relationships with the buyers from the bookstores. And it was just we were just another one of the publishers that they were selling. So we didn't have to kind of to nurture those relationships on our own. We just had to nurture the one. And it was an amazing thing to inherit all the 98 percent of all bookstores in North America see one powerful relationship. And uh, they discovered me because people like you were selling books. It was quite fun. Yeah, and now uh, for several years running, Publishers Weekly has named you in the top 10 right. independent publishing houses. Is that correct? That's right. We've been anywhere from number seven to number three, uh, number four. It's just, it has been amazing just to see how much we've been growing over the years. And we're still pretty lean. We can be very profitable with books that sell, you know, the, the, five, 10, 15,000 books where we don't have to have the million bestsellers, you know, to, to be in the, in the, in business. And that's part of the reasons why we're able to say yes to so many great authors that are up and coming. I would still say 40% of our authors are existing players and just tired with the traditional world. But the other 60% is uh, people like uh, you and me who just need a great break. 
in the beginning to get the our words out there. And uh, that's right for us. Eighty percent of it's the author. You know, who are they? Why are they doing it? I get, there's a great story about one of the reasons why I loved you so much, Joel. We can talk about that now or later. Uh, but who are they? Why are they doing it? Are they doing it for the right reasons? Uh, you know, is it going to help somebody? Do they care that the book helps somebody? And then, of course, how can they leverage that relationship from an entrepreneurial perspective? That's what's important to me. The other twenty percent, the book, you could always hire a better editor or gracious delete it and start over with a new ghostwriter. But you can't fix an author that's a knucklehead who's not doing it for the right reason. <laughs> Uh, Adam asked in the chat room, why did I publish elsewhere? I like to try a lot of different things. Those of you that know me, I like to experiment. And uh, Wiley waved a nice advance in my face for Twitter power. And I thought, yeah, we'll give this a try. Why not? Going to go ahead and open up the seats right now. And would love for some of you with questions. Go ahead. Come on in. This is a great opportunity for you to uh, ask your questions face-to-face, mano-a-mano, with the one and only David Hancock, founder of Morgan James Publishing. So don't be shy. We'll address the questions that come in uh, for those that take a seat um, when you do jump in here. One of the questions in the sidebar is, how do you make the New York Times bestseller list? There's Morgan and James, by the way, guys. Morgan and James, yep. And I've had the privilege of, of meeting your son, Ethan James. He's a great kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and Brian Johnson, if you don't mind jumping in here as well, if you've got your camera ready, would love to talk about your book. Uh, go ahead and answer that question about the New York Times list. So the New York Times list is, uh, is it's the holy grail for a reason. Um, it's one of the hardest lists to hit, but partly because of some of the the parameters they've built around, you know, even qualifying for the for the list. But it is ultimately an editorial list, meaning there is somebody who has a position at the New York Times that decides yes or no to a given title. So even though you might have the sales numbers, you might have all the metadata that you need, it might be sold to the right channels, and I'll, I'll share with you what I know, um, somebody could still say no. But also, on the other side, you could not quite have everything and somebody just says, hey, I wanna put that book on the New York Times, and they can do it. It's, it is literally an editorial list. Somebody makes a decision to put you on there or not. And um, it's becoming more and more a game, is it not? It, you know, with all due respect, it really is. It's kind of a, it's kind of hard to to watch some of the the areas that's been doing some of the authors they've been excluding and some of the authors have been going on there when they just haven't had the sales. It seems to be more of a good old boys network than anything. Not saying that's a bad thing because hey, it's their business; they run it any way they want to. But it's not what we all expected it to be, or what the I think the public thinks it is. Uh, but to give you an example of what it takes to be on the New York Times right now is it takes somewhere around you know fifteen thousand sales to hit the list. Now there's 15, you know, 11 to 15,000 sales um, is in a week. <laughs> and usually, usually within the first week or two of publishing is when it really starts to make a difference. Um, and if that's not so, the hard part, the hard part is that those sales can't all be from one source. They can't all be from Amazon. They need to be from multiple sources. And it, it needs to be from both online and offline sources. So you can't have you know, all the dot coms selling your book. And this is part of the reason why it's, you know, you don't see too many self-published books, if if rarely any, one or two a year from this from the self-publishing side, because their distribution is typically just online. Uh, it also needs to be offline. Now, it, it can't necessarily just be one store in Kansas shipping all your books to people. It has to be bookstores across the entire continental United States. And then there's a couple more uh, caveats to it as well. It needs to be um, spread out throughout the whole country. So your sales that are happening from the physical bookstores need to be spread out almost equally throughout every county in the nation. If you're looking at a map divided by counties, every one of those counties need to be blue. 
Uh, can't have too much white space over here. Can't have too much dark blue over here. It's got to be spread. What they're looking for, in addition to the editorial aspect, is a really true snapshot of what America is reading that week. Uh, and it, that's what really makes it difficult is that uh, online and offline, offline stores located across the country, but then every county needs to have somebody buying your book. It's complicated. And to uh, the one other thing that it could use is a little bit of pixie dust. And speaking of pixie dust, uh, Brian G. Johnson, author of the book Trust Funnel, right. is with us. How you doing, Brian? Is this thing working? Oh, hello. <laughs> How are you? Hey, good to see you guys. I, uh, I'm having a chill day. Yesterday was an epic writing day. I just can't stop writing books. I thought I'd come in and hang out and hear what I've heard many times. But, you know, once it gets in your blood, it's like kind of like the mafia, you know? <laughs> It's the book virus. And you've experienced this year um, with your book, Trust Funnel, the, the whole authoring and publishing process. And I've said publicly before, and I'll say it again now, that I've never seen a first-time author right. do such an incredible job on pre-promotion and then actually launching your book. When Trust Funnel launched, you, uh, you had already done a number of videos in pre-launch to bring excitement to it. And before launch day, there was probably a good, what, 75 photos or so of peers holding a copy of your book and posting it on social media. You were everywhere. It was a lot of fun. And here's here's what I learned. And you you kind of mentioned, Joel, hey, you know, come on in, Brian, and just share your experience. And the thing that I'd like to share is that as entrepreneurs, we're all trying to leverage us, what we bring to the table, um, a message we want to share, a product that we want to use to change the world. And that's very, very challenging to do. And you can go on social media. Now, you can share a picture of a but feel like a crazy person, a hamburger, and people <laughs> like they get really excited. But then you can have like a really cool like software app and it's hard to get recognition. Yeah. But there's something inside of a book. There's some kind of magical, well, it's probably pixie dust, as you mentioned, Joel. And people really cool. respond to it. And... You know, I kind of just, I kept asking David a lot of questions and he said, don't try to sell your book. And I said, okay, well, I think I'm already doing that. I'm just sharing my book. And literally that's all I did. And in the process of very strategically, what's interesting is I've, I see a lot of people doing some of the stuff I did and it can be effective, but I don't think anyone's really had the whole kind of package. And I was really blown away. I mean, I, I, you don't know, you're just, it's all faith as far as being an entrepreneur and it was a tremendous opportunity and and the most important part is the results that we're able to generate and i can attest that i was able to add thousands of people to my email list because i thought of a, a complete funnel i was at, able to speak at multiple engagements which brought more business i was at, able to add a nice a, a five-figure payday within weeks, within days of the book going live. And within the next six months, I generated another six figure through coaching because the authority was then cemented. And for me, for me right now, what's really exciting is, as I mentioned, literally, I have always been a creator. I am a content marketer. And I thought about, you know, like, how am I going to move forward and do this again? And just like you, Joel, we're always 
trying to do something different. And I'm thinking about like the next funnel I'll make with a book. So start with the end in mind, create a book, and you'll be amazed at the opportunities that will come your way. And you're really on the radar now because of what you did with the launch and because of your book and the valuable content within. Remember, folks, when you write a book, you know, not every book is a business book. Right. Uh, Morgan James specializes in nonfiction, but you have a fiction imprint as well as a children's imprint and a faith imprint, correct? That's right. The common theme with Morgan James is all of our authors are entrepreneurial and the books are part of a bigger picture. I love that. Jed Record, welcome to the show. Have you done your book yet or are you working on it? No, I this this is really inspiring me to to kick it up a notch. And I was telling uh Jen Hoverstad in the comments, she was asking me how the book was coming. And um I've had, thanks to Blab and a number of other things that's going on, a, a lot of increase in in um some high profile clients this fall and um and I've decided that, that my book is going to be one of my high profile clients. So I've added my book to my calendar, to my business calendar, as I would uh, a client. And I have scheduled time just as I would with a client for follow ups and pre calls and uh, workshops, all that time that I would uh, for a top tier client. So my book is now my top client. Uh, in in my work schedule jed i'm going to put myself out there uh with a risk because you don't have to accept this okay and <laughs> i'm going to put it out right now uh, oh, that should you write your book in 2016 if you want a forward for a new york from a new york times best-selling author i would be honored to write that for you boom uh joel that i'll tell you what that's that's fantastic and uh i'm so glad that we're going to be uh meeting up in the next couple of months because that's going to give me a uh, timeline that I'm going to have to have uh, a good text to be able to show you in March when we get back when we get together in March. Fantastic. I, I love it. I think, um, you know, I, I enjoy writing the forwards for book for people that I know, like, and trust. I've been asked to do, as you might imagine, a bunch of them. And I have to say no to several. There's another one I did for uh, my friend, E. Brian Rose, the millionaire within uh, because I really have to resonate with the person and the uh, the content. Uh, one of the tricks of the trade is when you're a new author, uh, asking somebody with a, an established name adds credibility. It's the power of association. But also by having somebody that's a New York Times bestselling author, your book cover actually has the words New York Times bestselling author on it, even right. though it's not you so that's awesome thinking again because i really leveraged that on your book on my book with you joe <laughs> yeah so jed do you have any questions for david um so i was asking him in the comment section is it is it crazy or unreasonable and and he answered me as a self-published author it's unlikely to get in the bookstores but i was thinking more about um you know if you worked with somebody like morgan james um, is it is it possible for first-time authors to get in the bookstores and get on bookshelves, or is that um, is that just dreaming on, on a first-time author's part? Uh, no, not necessarily. And now the bookstore buyers do buy based on their perception of your ability to generate buzz. Uh, so if they like what they see, then yes, your book will show up on bookstore shelves across the country. Now, as a first-time author, it might be limited to the 
bigger stores because the independents don't have the budget to test you yet. But as sales and author activity grow, your book distribution can grow as well. But yes, yeah, so every one of the books that we publish get distributed to the bookstores. They show up in the physical bookstores in varying levels, depending on what's going on. We've got a first time, I guess he's really considered a second time offer, but a second author who didn't have any provable sales on the first book is um, going to be in every Barnes and Noble in the country on the front table, five copies deep with a poster behind his book coming up in the month of January because he's got lots of activity going on behind his business behind the book. So all those things can help the influence of the, the bookstore buyers. But the good news is, is uh, Morgan James, although we do have a self-publishing division because we recognize that's still you know, a viable option, um, the ones we publish are considered trade books and they get distributed to the bookstores and they stay there for as long as you're promoting the books. You know, or, real quick, Brian taught it as long as you're talking about the content. <laughs> I'll I'll add, Jed, just to let you know. I mean, you know, I went with Morgan James. Joel wrote the forward, and some and of the still pictures. It. What's yeah. that? I said, and we still published it. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, it, my heart! It, 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 it ended up in uh, the library. So uh, it sold a, a whole bunch of copies. It ended up in the library. And Jed, when you do this, make sure, like, if you want to chat, uh, I can help you, like, get some great exposure. It's, it's really, really fun. And it, the thing is, it seems so easy, but there's so many ways to screw it up. That's the thing I learned. And a lot of people <laughs> screw it up because they're like, they'll send someone a book and then they'll write, Make sure you promote my book. It's like, eh, you just queered the deal. It's yeah. all, it's these little subtle things that once you understand, <laughs> but that's another time. <laughs> it, it, oh, we'll definitely touch be a, base, Brian, for sure, man. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are connected now. Well, Brian and uh, Jed, thanks for coming on and having the questions. Appreciate you. And, Thank you so uh, much, Joel. I appreciate yeah. your offer. And We'll and talk soon. Accept. Yeah. I know that uh, Brian G will have another book. It's in the works right now. I don't know what the subject is going to be yet, but I'm sure it's going to be probably about poodle wrangling or something like that. I know others here have questions, so please come on in and, and take a seat. Would love for you to jump on here. We're speaking with uh, David Hancock, the founder of Morgan James Publishing, about how to get your book published in 2016. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? Hey, guys. I am great. How are y'all doing? Excellent. What's your question? Good. So um, as you may have seen in the comments, Jed was also asking me about my book. I have been asked by our local or our state bar association here in North Carolina to write a book that basically targets kind of the millennial lawyer um, alternative careers in the legal field for those of us like myself who have a license to practice law, but choose not to do so in a law firm. So I'm already in the research phase, everything like that. But one of the things that I have yet to do is sign my contract. So uh, as an attorney, obviously, I know how to read a contract. I know what it means. But David, my question for you is, as a first-time author, what should I be looking for? What, what are maybe some of the most important points um, of the contract that I just may not be aware of otherwise? And that's really a good point because uh, the publishers will definitely take everything from you unless you have the, the knowledge to negotiate it or the platform to negotiate it. What you don't want to do is just totally surrender your content and you can't surrender it in every platform because there are certain areas that publishers don't even do. I'll give you an example. In a 
publisher that I won't name by name, but uh, we have some friends very closely associated with us who have published with them. <laughs> I won't be pointing names or anything. Uh, uh, their contract says that they've got the right to publish the book in perpetuity, you know, forever and ever in any and all formats now known or later to be discovered. Well, that's just kind of crazy. Oh, so, you're such a wily e. coyote, David. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> so those are some things to look for. Um, or if you're talking to a smaller publisher and they're asking for the right to uh, translate it and have it sold in foreign languages, but you just know based on their website or based on people you talk to that aren't really actively selling your book to foreign countries, don't give up that right as well. And then, of course, it's biblical. If you don't ask, you don't get. So things that you're not comfortable with or if you think you could ask for a little bit higher royalty, if you don't ask, you don't get. Every contract is a starting point. So just start where it works and hopefully come to a happy medium. Exactly if- right. Dave. And to, to point that out, I, I have no problem mentioning Wiley as my um, the publishing house that I've worked with to do four books with. And uh, in my contract um, for the last book, I said no right of first refusal, right. which means um, – I do what I want to do next without having to run it by you. It doesn't mean I can't run a book by you as I have, but um, it means that I own it. Also, I own all the digital rights to my website, to all ancillary products. And in the fight, the last version of Twitter power 3.0, I negotiated audiobook rights for myself. And we actually ended up publishing the audiobook version of Wiley's Twitter power 3.0 with Morgan James. That's right. So I've actually got two publishers on the same title. So there's that. Is that helpful, Jennifer? That is very helpful. And I'll bounce out. Thank you guys both. Appreciate it. Great to see you. Hey, Robert Stern, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you, David? Very nice to meet you. You too, sir. I've heard all about you. And it's been good. Don't worry. Joel Joel hasn't been bad. Um, So I have a question. I I came in a little late. um, So I don't know if you covered it in the beginning. I'm also looking at a book in the beginning of 2016, but I'm going to go the self-published route. Okay. And no, no, you're not. We're going to talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joel, that, that creates a problem for you and me. And you know that. <laughs> um, that, I'm, that we're going to talk. No, the book. <laughs> I, there's no problem. There's, there's, look, I have an abundance mentality. Uh, when my AdSense ebook was hot back in 1990 or 2005, um, uh, a, another guy who I who didn't know his name is Michael Cheney, uh, a British chap uh, over on the other side of the pond, came out with AdSense videos that basically showed people in a video format how to make money with AdSense. I was the first one of the first people to promote his videos as an ancillary product to what I was doing. I think that there's more than enough to go around. And as long as people are creating quality content, this idea of, of competition being one squashing the other, there's room for all of us to prosper. That's right. Our guerrilla marketing training teaches us that there's more opportunities in collaboration than there ever will be in, in uh, competition. So you create more opportunities for collaboration. So Robert, go ahead and ask your question now that I've interrupted you. <laughs> I'm getting used to this, Joel. Um, <laughs> So being said, let's just put it on the field. That's there's a lot of people that are self-publishing for whatever reason. They're not, they're not getting a deal with a publisher or anything like that. When they start marketing it. And I want to go back onto what Jed said a little bit about, we were talking about the activity of a book 
And if you market it and you really push it out on that social media and you start getting it flowing and everything else, how is the right way then to approach the stores to possibly pick it up also? Especially if you're self-publishing and a lot of people use Amazon as a self-publisher and then they print the book as it's needed and sends it out. But now if a store or somebody else wants those copies, do they have to get it through Amazon or can you pull that? and then use in another route to another publisher. How does that work? Uh, to a bookstore, yes. You, you could, as, as a self-published author, you could sell your books to a bookstore if they'll want it, and you just buy them from whoever your printer is, whether it's Amazon or the printer down the street. Uh, the problem is that most bookstores just don't like talking to self-published authors because their first uh, idea isn't necessarily right or wrong. It's just their, mm -hmm. their perception. Most self-published books don't have the quality Robert, that you're going to put into it. They don't have the, the material, the, the, the content that really needs to be a successful book. Most of them are edited poorly. Most of them have really poor covers. Most of them are falling apart you know, the first time you open the book. That's the reality of the typical self-publishing path. Uh, but to get your book into a bookstore, it's all about the relationship. You know, I would probably mm -hmm. say Barnes Noble will probably not talk to you at all, uh, but your local mom and pop shop will. And if you can get them to fall in love with you and understand that your book has a, um, a uh, an interest in the clients that are typically walking into their bookstores, you know, a warm smile and a, and a persistent uh, attitude and them already knowing who you are before you bring them your book, you might be able to get them to say yes on a consignment basis or see where it goes. But it's all mm -hmm. about that relationship. In fact, don't let your first time talking to those managers at that independent bookstore be, oh, hi, I have a book. Go in there months ahead of time and say, man, I love your store. I love the books. Buy some books. Bring some friends in there. You know, go to an author workshop. Make yourself known. So when it's time to say, oh, by the way, I have a book coming out next month. I'd love to, you know, see it here. Is there any way we could talk? You know, open those doors, but build a relationship first. Relationship, relationship, I have relationship. one other question. Sorry to do that to you, but what's it. your version of, I'm not a writer. I'm, I'm playing some, when I write stuff, I always pass it out to seven other people to, to look at it. But you're a content it. creator. I'm a content, I have the information. I just, you know, the there, there, your, your, I screw it up all the time. I, yeah. I know that. <laughs> I'm honest. At least I know I do that. What's your take on using um, what they call now, I guess, is the ghost writer where they interview you, you do all this verbal stuff and they turn it into your words into the editorial type of situation. I had a feeling, Joel. <laughs> totally a fan. Look, I the everything that that comes out of my books is my content. Um, and mm -hmm. I like writing short pieces. When you see articles on my blog or on, on Inc.com, I pump those out because I can do 600 to fit to 1600 words brr, like that. But sitting down to actually write the book is an overwhelming task for me and were I to try to do that it probably wouldn't get done so what I do is I bring in help from an editorial perspective and say okay here's things I've written here's talks I've given here's interviews I've done this is what I want it to be work with me to compile this for example this book uh where is it click here to order uh, which is right here this book is uh, a biography of internet marketing chaining up to um, 2008. It's 300 pages. I spent 50 hours on the phone interviewing in internet marketers, one of which was Matt Basak, who I saw in here a little earlier, and getting their success stories. And then I had it all transcribed and handed it to my writer. And I said, 
chronologicalize this. I think I just made up a word. Okay. Make sense of it and and let's create the content. And then I would go in and edit it and change it and, and make sure it was fully jollified that the words in here are written like I would speak them. So that to say, there's no problem with getting assistance on writing your book. Some of the most successful authors out there have ghostwriters. Okay. You can also look at the idea of having a co-author, somebody that can help you get the work, the work done. Whatever it takes to get your best content into a book, take it. As long as it's good quality work, uh, whether it's with a ghost or a really good editor or co-author, man, you got you got to do it. Right. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate your Thanks question. Thanks for the chronicalification of the Jollified. You bet. <laughs> Tina Marie, let's take your question, and then uh, I want to I want to respect David's time, and and uh, I want to actually answer the question: How do you get your book published in 2016? So, Tina Marie, you'll be our last question. There you go. Hi, David. Hi. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. Hello, Tina. So I want to tell you um, the manuscript I talked to you about. So it's all here. <laughs> um, uh, my question is, um, as a writer who's actually writing her book and then has an editor reading it and doing some help there, how long does it take to get a manuscript in your hands and then once in, with Morgan James to get it to market? That's a really good question. That's such a good question that let's actually just wrap that into the question I'm um, I'm asking about how to get your book published. Let's talk about the process from submitting a manuscript to Morgan James to bringing it to market. Is that okay, Tina Marie? That's perfect. That's what right. I want to know. I'll let you hop off and we'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right, David. So uh, we have people here. They're thinking, I want to get my book done. Uh, if they want to work with you, how does it begin? And let me just clarify real quick. No matter how you publish a book, no matter what publisher publishes it or what publisher you really would like to publish your book, it's all about people you know. It's not necessarily being able to send it to every publisher out there because that's not going to work. I saw somebody mention that in one of the comments about is that a viable option? It really isn't. It's very rare that somebody will just stumble across something that shows up. They call it unsolicited. It's about who you know. So one of the things I like about Joel so much is he's got a great wealth of knowledge, he can introduce you to a numbers of publishers. I'm privileged to be the one he's talking about today. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about how it works with Morgan James. So for us, it's really about how, how you know us. And our most successful and quickest relationships from getting to know somebody to getting a book deal is because somebody brings you to us that says, hey, you can't ignore this person. You've got to talk to this person. You need to know who they are. So once you get introduced to us, which is like you're doing right now, um, it really only takes a couple of weeks for us to you know, review the manuscript and interview you as an author. Uh, and as I kind of alluded to early on, our process of talking to the author is, is 80% of it. <laughs> so somebody here will talk to you and just get your passion, get your enthusiasm, feel your excitement, and understand why you're doing it, what your end game is. And then from that point, it takes about two weeks for us to, to make a decision. And we commit in writing to letting you know what we think. So we'll always come back with suggestions you know, questions. Um, even if we come back with a no, it might be a no, but you know, it might be, Hey, if you, if you looked at this Avenue or if you tightened up some of the editing, you might be able to do this, but would you'll always know where we stand. And sometimes it's a no. And Hey, there's one of those acceptance letters right now. Or is yeah, that so I just, I actually just received an acceptance letter for um, a book that we're going to be working on that. I, ha uh, it's half written um, for this year. There's actually two book deals that we're doing 
for this year, for next year, for 2016, rather. That's right. And that's anyway, a, please continue. That's a good point, too, uh, Joel. The book does not have to be finished before you engage a publisher. In fact, for us, I'd like to engage with an author as soon as possible because it does take so many months to get into the bookstore shelves. We can start that process with really all we need is a synopsis, a couple of sample chapters, and for us to sell it to the bookstores, all we then need is a cover. <laughs> um, so we can start that process early. So it could be a a formal proposal, which can kind of be a beast, or it could be a synopsis, a couple of sample chapters. But no matter how we get started, we're going to talk to you and try to catch your passion and your enthusiasm. And then from that point to book- hold, hold that thought, because just as you're saying submissions, Chrissy Bernal asked, can submissions be done without a literary agent? Yes, about 30% of our business comes from literary agents, so we do love them and appreciate them, and they have a great place in this world, but you do have the ability to talk to us directly. That's fine. Okay, please continue. Uh, so the, the next step would be if the book is accepted, you know, we negotiate a contract that everybody's happy with. Um, you can expect to put books back in your hands in about 60 days, maybe a little, little longer, a little less, depending on how back and forth we, we end up going. Hey, I recognize some of the signatures. Um, so books in hands in about 60 days. And then you as an author um, can really do anything you want with the book. You can sell it. You can give it away. You can sell it at the back of the room. You can sell it off your website. You can do anything you want to. Just don't sell it to a bookstore because we're going to want to do that. And that's the next step that takes the longest. So getting uh, your book into the Barnes & Noble down the street could take up to seven months, um, depending on the time of year and how quickly you can be done. But you know, six, seven, eight, nine months is how long it takes to get into the bookstore shelves. So that's why we like to engage with you as early as possible. So it feels like it's shorter. Okay. So, um, and then as far as advances go, you know, a lot of people ask because it, when you're self-publishing, you have to shell out money, right? It costs money to self-publish a book. And when you're doing traditional publishing, it might not cost you money, but you got to do the same marketing and that's going to cost you money. So what kind of investment does somebody have and, and, you know, what kind of advance does an author with Morgan James get? So we do pay advances because most of the time, if you say anything other than yes to the question, Hey, Joel, did you get an advance? And if he says anything other than yes, so people will look down upon you and think, well, you're not really published. It's just kind of crazy. So from a political world, we do pay small advances. Uh, it's a hundred bucks. You can go to Chick-fil-A. waiting for my check. That's right. You can go to Chick-fil-A twice, maybe. Um, <laughs> but we do make up for the the small advance uh, in higher royalty. So we, we didn't really get a chance to finish that, that conversation early on compared to what most publishers are paying. Uh, we pay 20 to 30% on the print side, 50% on the ebook, audio, and foreign rights. And we do have a very aggressive foreign rights division. A lot of our books to come back with you know, ten to thirty thousand dollar advances from foreign publishers to get their book into foreign bookstores is pretty awesome. Uh, so we make up for it with the uh, the higher advances. Now, uh, a lot of people, um, when they're used to um, what they call vanity press, it vanity press is where you can basically go to a publishing house and pay them to create your book. They're, they're not interested so much in their brand as they are as being a book mill for anybody that wants a book done. Now you said that you, you get a couple thousand um, or so manuscript submissions and you only publish 150 to 200 a year. So obviously you're concerned about the brand, uh, but people want to know what's my investment. Good question. 
Um, so fortunately, we don't charge a fee for what we do as a publisher. There's no amount of money that an author could give us to accept their manuscript. We only accept books that we want to publish and work with authors that we want to publish. Uh, we don't sell packages. We don't sell services. We don't you know, ask for authors to do really anything uh, except we do ask them to do three things. Uh, one of them does have a little entrepreneurial skin in the game, so that I answered Joel's question. The first is, since you're going to be in complete control and ownership of your content, we're going to ask you to bring to us a fully edited, proofread manuscript that you're happy that the world would read with your name on it, your content, your baby. We're not going to touch the content. Now, we've got a great editorial team in our side that will go through the book, and we don't look stupid, and thus you, but we're not going to change your content. You're in charge of that. So the next thing that we ask our authors is, is really, number two, we want them to be coachable. We want them to be willing to do the things that successful authors do. It doesn't mean that we want you to be willing to hire a publicist or hire a PR firm or buy advertising because those things by themselves just don't work. Um, we publish most of the guerrilla marketing books out there, so we would rather teach you from a guerrilla perspective what you could do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do to generate buzz around your topic, as Brian G. taught us. So we just want you to be coachable and willing to get out there and hustle and do what other successful authors are doing with whatever budget or lack thereof that you have. But it could take some investment in time and energy and imagination. Uh, the third thing that we'll ask the authors to do, and this is where a little entrepreneurial skin in the game comes in, is that we will ask you typically to commit to buying a small number of books for your own purpose over the life of the agreement. So that means that we may ask you to buy a max of 2,500 books on the nonfiction side over the next 70 years or until you fire us. Um, now, we won't say, hey, Joe, buy those 2,500 copies of your book uh, at retail like some publishers do because um, almost all the publishers out there have programs that, that have authors committing to buy books. We, we, we don't have time to talk about that today. I'm but running low on my Twitter Power 3.0 um, comp books that I got from Wiley and what they want to charge me to have more. You'd think they would charge me costs so the author can use them. And that's not the case. They actually make money on the authors purchasing books that they're going to use. Right. Not so a fan us, of that. Yeah. So for us, we don't ask you to buy them at retail or even a discount off retail. Like most publishers, we say, Hey, for the first commitment, be it 2,500 or whatever, it would never be more than that. We would say, Hey, just give us $2 above that print cost. And we're happy campers. And then as you need books, when you need them, you just pay the print cost. Um, we typically will ask for that $2 up front. So your investment up front might be five grand in that scenario. Or if we came to you and said, hey, we'd love to publish your book, but we're only looking for a 1500 book purchase commitment, then we would collect a $3,000 deposit and things like that. Um, now, as was mentioned earlier, we don't ask for first rights or refusal of your future book. So if your books do well and we earn the right to look at your next book, well, then your book purchase requirement could be even less or completely gone altogether. Again, we're in this for the long haul. We really like to, uh, I know, right? We haven't asked for a book purchase commitment from Joel since his New York Times bestseller. So imagine that. <laughs> but that's how we work. We want a little skin in the game from the author. We call it the entrepreneurial skin in the game because we realize as entrepreneurs ourselves that most entrepreneurs won't do what they really want to do or intend to do or promise to do unless they've got some skin in the game. It's true. And and, and you're running a business. This publishing house, this is not a, you know, a benevolent uh you're not philanthropic in terms of, hey, we'll publish your book and, and it's all going to be on us. You have to pay to print. You have a staff that does a marketing mastermind with the authors. You have people on your staff that that lay out and design the book. You come up, you have these professional covers, which, by the way, the material that you're using now 
on your covers. These books that you're publishing rival the quality of anything that comes out of the major publishing houses, and there's fees associated with that. So you can't just take on a new author and give, give, give without them also having some skin in the game. And I think what you ask is really a very small thing and it secures that they're going to be vested in getting the book done and that you don't go in the hole working with an author who then does not deliver. That's right. We may have invested anywhere from five to 15 to quarter million dollars into a project before we ever get a dime from the bookstores. So we just want to make sure that the authors are committed to the project. And this is not just a passing fancy they're going to forget about in three months. <laughs> well, and part of part of what you do that helps be more traditional is that you have salespeople right. that you you take stock of the books that are being published in the next year and your salespeople go to Ingram and Amazon and Barnes and Noble and they you have the relationships to talk with them. That's correct. We actually have over 100 sales reps in North America that sells into the trade, uh, both online and off throughout uh, the United States and, and Canada as well, uh, as well as sales and distribution abroad. But we don't have time to talk about that today. But yeah, really, that's, that's where we make money by selling books to the bookstores. And you make money because they, the books end up selling, but you'll make more money because of the book and higher fees, additional products, speaking opportunities. It's amazing. Yeah, well, there's. I'm gonna. Uh, we're gonna talk about a couple more questions here that have been asked in the sidebar, and then uh, I've already gone over time. I hope you don't mind, uh, but there's a lot of questions. Um, one is, uh, does oops, where would it go? Does your publishing company offer joint venture publishing services? Um, it may not. I'm not quite sure exactly what the joint venture publishing services may be. Um, we don't really offer any any services or sell any packages. We really just want to work with an author that's committed. How we work with an author could be considered a joint venture, although it's not a 50-50 split. We'll end up investing a significantly more amount of money into a project than an author would, uh, but the authors are in control. We do work together for mutual benefit, so it could be. So I'm not quite sure what your definition of joint venture is, but every one of the authors that we work with will be involved in all of our decisions as well as involved in all the successes as well. Uh, yeah, Sam uh, Kelly may have taken my comments about self-publishing a little harsh uh, because I think that there's a better way. She says, why is self-publishing no good? I did mine that way. Eek. Talk about that. Yeah, self-publishing is really great. Uh, it's better than not doing anything at all. It depends on what some of your goals might be. Um, heck, I, you know, I self-published two books, and it was because of those books that I ended up, you know, launching a, you know, my my career as a publisher. So there's a reason and a time and a place. It could be a way for you to perfect your message. Uh, but the reality is, I would say that if you have an opportunity to get your book published through a house, any house, um, and can negotiate a good deal, you might as well try it because the opportunity that it can afford you outside of your current circle influence is significant. The book still needs to be of superior quality, whether you self-publish it or get published by a house. Um, it, it needs to be good quality, your best work. It needs to be as good or better than the books you're competing with or comparing with. Uh, and self-publishing, you're in control, so make it so. Um, the hard part is no matter how you publish it, whether you self-publish it or publish by Random House or get published by Morgan James, it's still going to fall on your shoulders to market to the public. So you might as well try to market a book that's got broader availability so you can reach more people. But again, I, I'm a huge fan of self-publishing over doing nothing at all. We've got a great self-publishing program for authors called Persona Publishing. That's just an affordable way to get a book into online bookstores. But hey, let's talk about a way that we might be able to help you get it into a broader, if your message is good, and uh, you're entrepreneurial and you're passionate, you may not need to just uh, look at self-publishing. 
Warren wants to know, is there a disadvantage of getting a new ebook up on Kindle and then getting a publisher such as Morgan James hint hint after it's already live on the Kindle? Uh, no, no disadvantage at all. If it does really well, it certainly could help influence a publisher to make a quick decision. You know, all those things kind of filter into some reasons to, to accept an author. Um, some publishers don't like material if it's been out before. So be very careful. If you're coming to us, we don't mind. We can help take a book further. But if you're thinking about wanting to submit something to Wiley or Entrepreneur Press, well, actually, they don't do direct authors anymore. But, you know, McGraw-Hill, whoever, don't let your stuff out because they won't talk to you if it's been released already. Uh, Maxim says, uh, so is the publisher supposed to help with editing and layout? You just bring a business plan and manuscript? So the publisher for us, uh, Morgan James, you'll do the final edit. Well, you'll do the editing of the content. You're in charge of the content. We'll go through it to make sure that we don't look stupid, but we do do all the layout with the author's input, the cover, the interior, all the printing that's required for the trade. So we take, we take care of that for you. Great. And last question is from Mike Baltus. So he's wondering, does your company have a distribution model set up in the back end? Uh, I think what he's asking is the funnel. So we'll let you sell your books to anybody you want to, except for bookstores, and you keep all the profit. We'll give them to you at really, really low author price. So we don't want to get in the way of your back end. So um, yes, you, we can let you do that. You keep all the money, whereas some publishers won't even let you sell the book you know, at your events without getting permission. Excellent content today. Everybody give mad props to David Hancock, uh, founder of Morgan James Publishing, for, for joining us. David, I know we have a lot of people here and people who are going to be listening to the replay that are going to want to contact you. So what's the best way to go about that? Uh, I'm on Twitter at David Hancock, and uh, you can also check us out at MorganJamesPublishing.com. At the top of the page, there's a compare button. You can kind of see how we compare it to some of the other publishing models out there. But just reach out to me, and if you email me, it's uh, david at morganjamespublishing.com, and just put joelcom um, blab in the subject line, and I will read your email. That's right, because uh, David, well, here's the deal. If you uh, end up letting David know that you heard about us here, you're likely to have some assistance from me when it comes to marketing your book. Okay, so you want to pay attention to that and uh, and and get a hold of uh, of David when you realize that you know what I really do need to do that book one more time with the email for those that uh, may have missed it. It's David at morganjamespublishing.com. You can also go to chatwithdavid.com. That's chatwithdavid.com and actually book a call with me. Um, but do make sure that I know that you came from this blab because then uh, you'll actually talk to me and not my assistant. Perfect. And uh, to get in touch with me, if you go to joelcom.com, there's a contact link there with a form. And when you fill that out, it comes directly to me. Thanks again, David. I really appreciate you. Oh, it's my privilege. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody. Uh, great for, to have everybody here on the Joel Com Show. Upcoming episodes that are going to hit the calendar soon include Brian Solis. That's right. Brian's got a new book out called X. Uh, it's about customer experience and design. It's going to be powerful. Also, waiting to schedule with Peter Shankman, the uh, creator of Helper Reporter Online. I've got a lot more shows coming your way. Also, my periscopes are picking up a lot of steam. It's called the Top 5 
scope. Now, this won't matter to those of you who are watching this in the recording or listening later, but I'm getting ready to periscope right after this. So follow me on Twitter at Joel Com and watch for a periscope where I'm going to be talking about five ways to repurpose your periscope. Thanks for following me here on Blab. Watch for the next Joel Com show. I appreciate you all. Now go out there and do good stuff. Thanks for joining us for the Joel Com show. We hope you've learned something new and that you are inspired to grow personally and professionally. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and to share it with others. For more from Joelcom, visit www.joelcom.com. And until next time, do good stuff.